0: Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bytes podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation about the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive in. If you would like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s double You'll be able to catch up with all of the shows on iTunes, Spotify, and of course, all the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 10, with the title, Understanding the Conflict Between Culture Versus Humanity. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Hend Halim. I met Hend at several CIPD events and true events in London over the past year or so. And Hen describes herself as an HR professional who is passionate about giving underrepresented people a voice. So I asked Hen to describe her superpower, and she said, being cheerful and diligent. So hello, Hen! Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Joe. It's a pleasure to be with you and all the guests attending.
0: Ah, oh, thank you. So tell me, why is it important to understand this conflict between culture and humanity?
1: Um, It starts with liberating yourself out of everything you grew up learning by interacting with people and finding the truth yourself. Because I personally grew up in Egypt. I lived in Holland and I lived in the UK. I have three life experiences, so I'm going to share more details during this podcast about For me, as a cis straight Muslim, it's a fight against discrimination and promoting equal opportunities to create a space for everyone to be treated with respect and um, to not feel different because people usually have stereotypes, they have certain ideas. If they don't deal with the person directly, they will keep having them until maybe they die. So I used to come to London as a kid with my parents every summer holiday since I was 10. I would see people who look completely different from what I used to see back in Egypt because we don't have much diversity in Egypt. We don't have other nationalities until the Arab Spring started, and then we started to have some Syrians or Iraqis and so on. So um, the first ever uh, challenge between culture and humanity was at the age of 17. I studied a Canadian degree, and we had a professor who taught us human rights. Uh, It was a core module. And we had a project about um, LGBT and Islam. At first, we were all shocked. And like, because it's something hush-hush, nobody speaks about. It's uh, frowned upon. It's not accepted and so on. But she insisted that this is the topic we are going to do our graduation project about. So it was a big eye-opener to all of us growing up knowing that those people are wrong or not doing something right or going against nature Uh, again, Egypt is 80% Muslims and 20% Christians and both of them again under the Middle Eastern culture so everyone is homophobic by nature so so um, we did a lot of research. We were completely um, surprised that there is a huge community of Muslims um, in in Canada who are LGBTQ. They are welcome. They have their own mosques. Um, you cannot lose your faith and stop being Muslim if you're An LGBTQ person. So that was something against everything we grew up learning that if you do that, you lose your faith, you will not be accepted, and so on. So that was the first ever eye opening experience. And now, attending webinars or events where people speak about their, they are in the learning phase. Getting to know the problems of the black people, ethnic minorities, Muslims or whatsoever. So I can relate to that because I used to have an opposing um, point of view against a group I never dealt with or know anything about. But it just built in through culture that they are not good for no reason. so a few years later i moved to london to do my master's degree that was the first ever direct contact with gay people i had some at my class one was open about his sexuality the other one was keeping it a secret uh, i only knew that with my uh, classmates during the pride when she was part of it so that Took me some time that to think that they are not different. They are they are really good people, Uh, very nice to us. They have good manners. They are successful, smart. They wouldn't go to postgraduate school if they are so. That showed me the reality that sometimes. Someone who is LGBTQ according to culture and religion who's not good enough or on the right path can be better than someone who's born and raised Muslim but um, who would be a thief or a murderer or whatsoever. So you what you do in the bedroom has nothing to do with how good you are. And from then I started um, loving them, accepting them, giving them all the respect they deserve because I saw, and I've dealt with someone for a whole year and I loved her so much. And I had no idea about her sexuality. So it taught me a very good lesson that what you built in um, or get planted in the culture is not always right it's because you never dealt with them so you have those wrong stereotypes mm. even though in the egyptian media it's it's really visible and and they feature themes about um Uh, trans um, people and gender cross-dressing and everything. So it was accepted in the media, but not in reality. The latest uh, survey was launched in Egypt um, in 2017. The result showed that 95% of people agreed that um, Homosexuality should not be accepted. So that's a very large number. And
0: yeah, I, I mean, reality from my perspective. So I, I'm obviously a uh, a person born who lived in England all of my life, almost all my life. So I would see the Middle East um, as a very unfriendly place for LGBT people. Um, we hear of uh imprisonment beatings um lashes uh and even death for people who have yeah. um who've been uh found guilty of 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 being gay or or lesbian or or trans yeah. so i i I find that personally really tricky to kind of understand because and I also see that with maybe some um cultures within the UK. So we look at some uh fundamental Christians, there's some Muslim communities, there are there are people who are still anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-LGBT who live in this country. And I and I think recently there was an incident where there were some schools in Birmingham that were trying to ban the education of their children yeah, um, around LGBT people. Um, mm-hmm. but, but the culture, I suppose, where Islam is sort of rooted in in the Middle East. is very strong anti LGBT, but there's nothing, from what I understand, nothing in the religion or the faith that says LGBT is bad, is it? It's not, it's not an Islamic doctrine. It's an yes. interpretation by by the by the people in exactly.
1: power. that's the problem. An Arabic word can have up to eighteen meaning, so it depends on the scholar to choose and manipulate whatever he wants to deliver. That's why when the ISIS movements and so on uh, were, were going on, they started targeting non-Arabic speaking Muslim because they are easier to manipulate. They don't understand Arabic. They will believe whatever you tell them. They wouldn't target someone like me because I know Arabic, I can read. And the problem again is the script is is was released over fourteen hundred years ago. So we need scholars to introduce new like updates like the iPhone. We keep getting updates because there's a new software. So what was understandable or accepted fourteen hundred years ago? should match the current and new situation and give a space to everyone. Because in Islam, we start, like every prayer, that God is the most merciful and compassionate. I don't think God creates faulty. So you can't really dismiss a certain group when God... It created them. He wouldn't create something and ask us to hate them.
0: That's it's a very, some... very valid point. I, I think that's so true, where if you have a faith and a belief that uh, you have a God that you, you believe in and, and is part of your faith, then you generally don't believe that that that, that God is imperfect. You believe that God exactly. has perfection. And why bring hate into the world? And But some... I mean, you know, we're talking about culture versus humanity here, and it's very—it's become a cultural thing, as you say. Fourteen hundred years of evolution of scripture and text, mm-hmm. without being upgraded you know, to iOS or, or Quran yes. <laughs> version six, to to meet the context. So people are interpreting the way that people existed, and and. Gathered 1400 years ago about the way people work, uh, computers, online, internet, relationships, clothing, co- different countries. There's no there's, the cultures changed completely underlying that text, and somehow you're right. We need to reinterpret it with a modern lens, maybe.
1: Yeah, because sometimes you get attacked from f- my friends and and stuff that I promote and uh, support the LGBTQ and so on. So I keep telling them defending black people will not make me black. Defending disabled people will not make me disabled. So defending LGBTQ will not make me one as well. Mm. It's just a matter of respect and accepting understanding because I'm different At workplace, I look different, I sound different. So I know how much courage for someone from the LGBTQ or any other um, diversity focuses come to work, take the courage to get dressed and meet people who are mostly homogenous and don't accept you. So they should be greeted with so much respect and love for mm. trying to show who they really are
0: so you, you said yourself you you, you emigrated or you, you you came to this country how many years ago was that now so several years master yeah, uh, I've
1: done my master's in 2013 went back to Egypt for a year got married and moved to Holland for two years and now four years in the UK
0: so you've been in the UK for four years so you, as yeah. A person that you would be labelled as BAME, you know, in the broad mm-hmm. sense of it. So you're an ethnic yeah. minority. Yes. You also have uh, a faith which is Muslim, with an Islamic background. You speak yes. Arabic. You spent yes. a lot, most of your life in the, in a the culture in Egypt, but you've also had exposure to a more northern European, Western type upbringing yes. Canada, Holland, UK. So how how have you found it? To adjust to the lifestyle of a a, a, in the UK versus maybe the lifestyle in Egypt, what what sort of big things you notice different?
1: The difference is there is a room for everyone to be quirky and different, but it comes with a huge responsibility to educate others and the involvement of the law is protecting all those groups mm. while in Egypt or the rest of the Middle East the law enforces harming anyone who is against the the norm.
0: The majority, yeah, yeah, the typical. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You
1: have to conform to whatever it's a preset catalogue all of us should go through. From baby to death.
0: So, so you must have had to learn English. At, did you learn that while you were school. in Egypt, or at school? Yeah, yeah. So you did learn at school. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of the education to to, to learn Western languages. It did you yeah, learn much Germany about Western and cultures? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the the environment in Egypt is one of 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 cross culturalizing you from an early age, so you understand about the world, but but very restricted about the sort of things you can learn within that culture.
1: Exactly. And it's mainly depending on privilege. Hmm. It depends on the social class you belong to. Everything can make your life easier if you belong to a certain lifestyle. And I would like to mention an example of two... Um, LGBTQ Egyptian Muslims who have totally different stories when they uh, started to face the society. We have someone called Nur Hushem. She was born a girl. She made gender reassignment because she's a daughter of a famous actor in Egypt. She only had minor attacks in the media She was not arrested, she was not deported, nothing at all. And we have a different example of a girl named Sarah Hagezi. She only raised the rainbow flag during a concert. She was prisoned, molested, electrocuted, Mm. and then she was bailed out. She was asked to be deported to Canada. Last year, she lost her mom and she was unable to attend her funeral or say goodbye or anything. Last month, she committed suicide in Canada because she was under severe uh, depression and PTSD and so on. So privilege plays a huge part of protecting you from the law.
0: Mm. I i visited Egypt. I visited Sorry. Egypt uh, back yeah. in uh, 2000. Yeah. So I I went to the pyramids at Giza, saw the Sphinx. Um yeah. I visited yeah. the Cairo museum, I saw the Tutankhamun yeah. exhibition in the Cairo museum. And I only stayed probably uh, probably 14 hours it was a stopover on a cruise. Mm-hmm. So I, that was my experience of Egypt. So I, I kind of resigned myself to the fact that it's not a place I could probably visit again and feel safe or, feel, or, or be certain that I would be safe. And uh, it's quite sad, really, that there are countries in the world where someone like myself who's LGBT, who's trans would face discrimination just being yourself. And yeah. And I, I, I've, I even have to think about how I, when I fly, to Australia can I stop off in Dubai I probably can't you know there's a whole lot of countries but should I go to Russia and Moscow so I'm now thinking about the countries where it's safe for me to go yeah. and so I, I, I guess I, I have a privilege of living in the UK that I, I can be me myself Yes, but there are many people in other countries who can't and they're living in a regime where they feel they have to hide or, or mask or cover themselves for fear of death or punishment and that's must be a terrible way to live
1: it is. And unfortunately, I was—I sh- had a culture shock in Holland when I lived there for two years because most of the people from different age group, old ones or young ones, were cracking jokes against uh, homosexual or trans people and they don't accept them. So I was shocked. Like, this is Europe. I thought you would have the same tolerance I would see in the US or the UK. It was one of the most culturally shocking for me because I thought that they would have that, so it's by law they cannot do anything, but because they some people know that I'm Muslim, they feel comfortable to show their homophobic or transphobic nature and think that I will not be offended because I share the same views, right, so
0: Do you, um, I mean, you said you were shocked about um, hearing people in the UK free or in the US or wherever you were freely expressing negative views of people. Mm -hmm. So did you believe from an Egyptian point of view that the the UK or the West was kind of free and easy and everyone was accepted or or did you get a bit of a shock when you realized?
1: My work experience showed me that it's not the reality. As I told you, I feel like people just feel tied by the law. They have to say that we accept them and so on. But realistically speaking, they are not. Some refuse to wear the rainbow lanyard when we give them away at work. Um, We have really close family friends who are atheists And uh, they come home, they play with my son and so on. So I was just complimenting them and saying, okay, one day your daughter will give you one or two of them because you will make fantastic grandparents. So the mother looked at me with so much sadness and she said, well, that's not possible because my daughter is gay. And then there was awkward silence. I didn't know what to say. So my husband jumped in and said, well, they can adopt. (laughs) So I mean, that even here, there's still people who are against it. Mm. At workplace, um, we had a trans person. And when I wanted to invite her for like, we usually go for lunch or dinner and so on. Um, some people said that they don't want her with us. They don't feel comfortable around her. And I was really heartbroken because those people are born and raised here. Hmm. I thought they will have more acceptance than someone who was born and raised that those people are wrong.
0: Yeah, it's so, it's, it's still the reality. And, uh... As a trans person myself, I'm aware that there are some people who embrace me, and some people who reject me, and yeah. some people who don't don't understand me or don't want to understand me. And yeah. I, I guess you must also face that as a as a non-British person from birth, people maybe you must also suffer some sort of uh, puzzlement or discrimination because of your accent, because of your faith. And because yeah. of your gender, because you're because you, you're a woman as well, so an intersectional, or woman. even a mother, a mother as well, yeah.
1: Because I was once stopped from a promotion until I finished my mom years, my early mom years. So it happens. Mm.
0: So I mean, we're going back to the sort of culture versus humanity thing. So yes. this is the culture we have in the UK as well in the workplace, and you know we're we're both. You're in HR. I'm in diversity and inclusion, promoting well-being for people. How how do you see we can tackle this 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 culture problem we've got in, in organisations? What what you would advise people?
1: I would encourage um, doing something like speed dating, where you put people like us who are different, who are BAME, who are LGBTQ. And then invite people in the company to sit like for 10 minutes or something. Maybe you will like me. Maybe you will eliminate a wrong stereotype that you thought about people. I usually get funny comments like, oh, you're Muslim. I didn't know that. You don't look like them or you don't act like them. So sometimes I feel like they are aliens (laughs) They are special species, but no, some of us are funny, cool, and just like you.
0: (laughs) So you you mentioned that I've had people say, "Well, I'm okay for a good. I'm a good trans person. I'm okay trans person." And maybe you almost to people say to you, "You're a good Muslim. You're a funny Muslim. You're okay. You're an okay Muslim." And that's kind of it's a it's a compliment, but it's insulting, isn't it? It's exactly
1: backhanded.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, so, yeah, I, because I'm well-behaved and make you laugh, I'm acceptable. Is that, is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's the, this is, uh, British privilege sort of uh, speaking again sometimes, isn't it? It's uh, people think they're being kind, but actually they're being really, really cruel by saying that, aren't
1: they? Yeah. Or going out for after work drinks. I don't drink, but I don't mind sitting with people who drink. I don't mind gifting my friends with uh, champagne or anything, whatever they like, because I can't force my belief on people. If you want real integrity, there should be a space for acceptance, tolerance, Mm. and just live and let live.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I mean, I noticed reading some of the, the bio you sent me in advance, You're saying you're doing a lot of public speaking now. So you've you've spoken at a few events. So what got you into that? What what inspired you to want to speak? Uh,
1: Eventually, it's Bill Borman. Yeah. Because while doing my studies, he believed in me. I met him at um, Talent Leaders Connect, where he did a, a fantastic speech. And I did my dissertation about recruitment. So I approached him, and then he invited me to True London, and uh, then other events like Enterprise Ireland, until I became one of the speakers, not just an attendee.
0: Fantastic. So, what do you would yeah. you like to speak about? Is it about culture, about HR, or talent, or what's your what's your passion when you when you speak?
1: I mainly speak about diversity and inclusion. I shared some stuff about faith at workplace, mm. about um, the challenges of minority group employment, how I, we all get rejected just because of our name before even reading our resume. Mm. You don't know anything about me, but I'm immediately rejected. I don't go through the funnel.
0: No, we, we, we spill over the edge, don't we, somehow? And <laughs> we get we get swept up afterwards and sort of people sort yeah. of yeah you know, we never hit the radar no it's a shame yeah so we're now in this world where you know it's we're living in covid you know 2020 we all had these big plans for the year um what are you learning about your own maybe your own work or your own passions are are they are you reevaluating your life because of because of covid because of the future
1: yeah definitely it's uh a huge momentum like reflecting of all like previous years my current situation and what i want to do in the future so it's really good
0: do you see the uk as being part of your future or are you thinking thinking the world and thinking where else could you uh sit down roots and uh and maybe try a different culture
1: I'm not really sure. My husband uh, loves traveling and living in different countries, but I want a bit of stability, especially that we have a little one. So I want yeah. him to join school, to have some friends, to have a bit of stability.
0: Yes, I, I, I agree. That's that's very important in their, in their younger years, isn't it? Um, so in, in lockdown, are, are you having to home educate or is he too young? To, to... No,
1: he's just two.
0: Just two, okay. So
1: I'm lucky with just cartoons and feeding.
0: <laughs> and Balancing that with working as well, so remote working. and.
1: Yeah, well, thanks to corona, I left my previous role and I was supposed to start another one end of March, but it was terminated due to corona. Oh, okay. So I'm now in the job application phase, right. interviewing that, and so on.
0: So that, that, I guess I suppose that's a challenge as well. I mean, in the HRTA space, there's a lot of people being laid off at the moment or or furloughed, not being brought yeah. back. So it's a, it's a it's a tough market for HR, D&I, and L&D professionals at the moment, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is.
0: It is. We should be
1: optimistic. Yeah, I it's, think we should. Now it's a lot better than the few months back.
0: Yeah, I I certainly see a a lot more activity on LinkedIn, a lot more people speaking positively. Um, I I still think we've got some tough times to come when the furlough scheme ends in October. I I think we'll see a lot more casualties, but I I see businesses going back to business and and focusing on uh, plans and futures now, which they probably weren't doing two or three months ago.
1: Yeah, um, I'm getting invites for events end of September, early October. So it's getting better. Hmm.
0: So you're still staying in HR. I mean, you, you describe yourself as a kind of an HR generalist. Sort of. yeah. Is that is that still your passion? Is it?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: And uh, are you are you looking to sort of uh, increase your speaking? So, so you want a role where you can speak more and uh, and get involved with events still?
1: Yeah, I'm currently focusing on diversity inclusion roles. Yeah where I can advocate the underrepresented voices, like I love to give them a space, Um, promote women in leadership roles, Um, give diverse people, black ethnic minorities, some space in the top senior level. Because if you start at the top, then the people at the bottom will be happy and satisfied.
0: Uh, do you feel that you as, you as yourself are represented by Black Lives Matter I mean, as Black Lives Matter really is focusing on black people? You would maybe class yourself maybe as, as brown or, or or not black. So do you feel that you're being represented in that movement and you're getting a spotlight shown on your your own ethnicity?
1: Eventually, no, um, not direct, uh, but if it works for one of the underrepresented groups, then all of us will will be one day we will have our turn. Yeah. Because like now it's the South Asian month. So there is a highlight on that. And then in October there's Black History Month, which I'm expecting to be a very, very special month, especially Mm. this year with the George Floyd death and all the revolution and all the protests globally.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think one of the things that the conversations I've had with people around BLM, Black Lives Matter, is that as a white person, I don't understand often what it's like to be white. I need to understand my privilege and understand what white privilege means. And also, I need to understand about the history of how the UK is built on colonialism, on on the the money generated through the slave trade. And I need to do some more research on that. So I think we actually need a White History Month as well to say how white people have evolved and uh, where our cultures come from and to really unpack that. Because it's not just about understanding black culture, it's about understanding how white culture impacted black culture um, as a white person. And maybe look at the statues, rather than just tear the statues down, look at each one and understand the history of that person or what the circumstances were. So that we can now put this, you know, we talked about the fourteen hundred years of, of uh of evolution since the Quran and that was written, etc. We now need to look at the last four or five hundred years since British culture was established and the lens through how that evolved and how we were how it was built on the on the on the on the blood and sweat and tears. Of diff- of other cultures, and I think that's True. that's the important thing. We we need museums of whiteness so that we can go and look at our past through the truthful mm-hmm. lens, rather than seeing us as the victorious conquerors who are the champions all the time. Uh, exactly. And I was I actually reflected on this because I went to see the uh the Egyptian pop up uh, the Tutankhamun exhibition that was in the uh, the Saatchi yeah. Gallery in London, and I didn't really think of much of it until the Black Lives Matter uh, movement started and and highlighted to me that I now see that sort of different lens. You know, the the British people were the the colonists of that region. They were invading these burial grounds. They were digging stuff up, uh, really just trying to pillage those artifacts and conquering that sort of side and stealing these things, taking them back to, to the UK for our pleasure destroying the culture of the, the Egyptian culture effectively. Uh, and I saw I started seeing that maybe this, this Tutan Carmen exhibition was actually a celebration of colonialism rather than a celebration of Egyptian history. True. Uh and I, I started I started looking at things now through a different lens, thinking, I, I actually want to understand Egyptian culture, but I don't want to understand it through a white lens. I want to understand it through mm-hmm. the Egyptian lens. I need Egyptian people telling me this story not uh, a white lord with loads of money who's enslaving people, effectively, to dig this thing up. And mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, so I, I, I see some of these historic things that I've grown up with in school through a different mm-hmm. lens now, and I'm now starting to question how I've been brought up and how I've been taught about the British Empire. And when people talk about dismantling the British Empire, I'm now thinking that's a good thing. It, we should learn about what it what it did and how what it did to people, but I don't feel proud of it in the same way that uh, maybe I did when I was younger.
1: Mm-hmm. I get your point.
0: And uh, yeah, I, I think hanging on to the Commonwealth again—that's British territories, which are we, we describe them as British dependencies. Why are they dependent on us? Why aren't we putting effort? And time into making them less dependent on us and making them free okay. nations and not hanging on to this colonialism of the past and propagating effectively racism or racism by permission. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, I think we all need to take a long, hard look at our, the way we're taught history, the way we see ourselves. And it, people say that, uh, history, history is written by the victors. You never hear, you never hear the losers' perspectives. Yes. Yeah, and we need to blend both perspectives uh, because we're, we're, all, we're all freedom fighters. It's just the winners are freedom fighters. The losers are terrorists, and that's that's, yeah. that's that's the struggle we've got to face. So do you still go back to Egypt? Do you still go home as such? Uh,
1: eventually, we were supposed to go in April for my sister-in-law wedding. Yeah. unfortunately we couldn't go because of corona lockdown so we missed it
0: how, how is how how is it in Egypt it is, we don't hear much about the it's pretty
1: relaxed my yeah. parents at the beach <laughs> and everyone is enjoying their life
0: is it they've just not had many incidents is that or they have or they managed it is it is it just a different culture is it uh
1: well I don't think the media is giving so much transparency about
0: Okay. It.
1: Right. So they leave people to go with the immune um what? It's called crowd oh, the her- immunity. The
0: her- her- herd immunity. Yes. Right, so, herd
1: immunity, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they are adopting this style because they don't want to stop the economy from going on, so they didn't have lockdown for several months, like here. No.
0: Ah, okay. <laughs> so you said at the beginning your, your superpower is being cheerful and diligent. So so how do you, how does that superpower manifest itself? I mean, I, I can see you now on camera, yeah, although the listeners can not hear us. So what what keeps the smile on your face? What, what's what's that
1: passion? It's a positivity. Also making my family proud. My parents are proud of me. I always share the events or the things I participate, in, so it makes them very proud of me. Um my son, my husband, representing Egyptians abroad just like Mo Salah. He's the Egyptian king of Liverpool. We have Rami Malik who won the Oscars for uh, resembling Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. So it's something like that that keeps you going.
0: So, being yeah, you know, I hate this word role model, but being a great Egyptian and showing, and showing it, being a fantastic Egyptian in the UK, being yourself and smiling about that. Yeah, brilliant, and just that's, to be
1: proud a, of yourself.
0: Yeah, that's that you a really... are
1: someone who making contributions to the society, or even educating people. Because your words and the events I attend for you, they educate me something about trans people. They make me reflect when I go home about the ideas you share, the emotions, everything you say. And then I start educating other people. I attended an event with Joe. She said so-and-so. What do you think about that? So you start engaging with others, spreading the words, spreading your... Positive ideas.
0: Thank you. Um, that's a, yeah, that's, I think that's a really great outlook on life—to uh, t- to educate, to learn, to share that, and be really positive. I, no, I think that's a really good uh, mantra. Exactly, to live by. because there's yeah.
1: no silver bullet to th- to make everyone uh, accept diversity and inclusion, love everyone, and live peacefully. No.
0: So, you've, if you had to sort of, if you had a magic wand or you had some vision, where, where do you where do you see the world going? You know, we, we've got probably another. Well, we're in the middle of July now. We've probably got another year, or at least eighteen months worth of COVID-related lockdown measures adjustment. So, where do you see the future? Do you see humanity getting better? Do we think we're going to learn something from this?
1: Yeah, a lot. Um, I see more flexibility with employers because some stone age one were against people working from home or flexibility. Now that they are forced to do that, they found that you can be productive, you can trust your employees to deliver whatever is required from them. If they are working from home, they don't need Mm. to be chained to the desk to give that. I see some companies are promoting the four days week which can give more work-life balance to do whatever you like, Mm. um, do your hobbies, stay with your family, travel and so on. I see a better environment. There is less pollution. Nobody's traveling, no carbon print. Mm. People are more conscious and appreciating of everything we used to have and we got deprived of. So there is more appreciation to everything.
0: Do you think as a working mum, it will be easier for you or harder for you? Because um, everyone thinks it's easier, but there are other challenges of, of working at home or remotely and having a young family, aren't there?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's very hard. Um but again if you have support from your partner, it can make life easier hmm. because we cover each other.
0: So a more even balance between the gender roles at home helps everybody win.
1: Uh yeah. Well my husband has been living in Europe for like fifteen years, so he's not very Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Meaning traditional gender roles uh, exactly. in Egyptian society. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand that. Yeah, there are the woman's role in Egyptian society or in Muslim society is very traditional, isn't it? Very at home, cooking, cleaning, childcare. The male role is more working,
1: providing, fighting. The <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, the, the strong, the strong out, outbound role, whereas the female is tends to be the weaker home based role, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Although it isn't, Muslim society often a very matriarchal, where the the woman does wield some authority in the home, or is it very, matri- or is it very patriarchal still?
1: No, it's um, more. Equal, but mm-hmm. it's not for the public. Like the man has to be like the final decision maker. It's the woman who decides and designs and sets everything, but just for the image.
0: It's it, not like Saudi, where as a, as a woman, you didn't need permission for a man to travel or leave the country. No,
1: not at all. Uh, and even driving, because my friends would always ask me, can you drive? So I said, I had the car since I was 16. So.
0: In fact, it, probably earlier than the UK. More, yeah.
1: It is. And even in Egypt, because it's um, legally at the age of 18. But again, as I told you, speaking of privilege, sometimes you can do stuff and get away with it. <laughs> I'm not so proud to say that, but that's the reality.
0: So we got your naughty secret out in the end.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. You've got some great life stories and some, and you've overcome uh, some challenges in your life. You know, you're living in several countries, uh, living in a country that's completely different, yet still being fat. Firmly proud of your egyptian heritage is 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 yeah. absolutely incredible it
1: 's part of my identity yeah. it's me yeah
0: it is and, and I think yeah you know we talked about culture versus humanity, and the humanity in you is shining through, and your hopes for the future evolving the culture is i think we could all aspire to that as well. so how do people get in touch with you if they want to they want to book you to speak you know, I'm sure people want to find out more about you so uh so what's the best place to get in contact?
1: Uh, my LinkedIn, it's HendHaleem, Hend Halim, H E N D, H A L I M, and uh, I'm happy to receive any messages.
0: Okay, so connect with you on there, drop you a message, and have a chat. And if you're if someone's you're looking for a speaker on anything you've heard about today, you'd be, you'd be really really pleased to take part, wouldn't you? I, I can tell that definitely. So I wish you well in your job hunt. Um, maybe someone who listens to this may may, may may listen to this and uh, and want to offer you an opportunity to come in from YouTube, which would be amazing. But I'm sure we'll keep in touch, and I'm sure once uh, the lockdown's over, we'll bump into each other at a CIPD sure. or a, another event. It'd be I great to great to have a hug. Yeah, I miss hugging. Yes. Yeah, miss hugging. Yeah,
1: me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. Thank you so much. So if, if anybody would like to be a uh, take part in this podcast, then please uh, do get in contact. It's joe.lockwood at uk. And it's a huge thank you to everyone for being a listener, to tuning in. And please do subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bytes podcast, at B-I-T-E-S. And please tell your friends. Please tell your colleagues. 'Cause I've got a number of exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be inspired by over the next few weeks and months, in addition to today's. So please get in contact. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to be your host on the podcast today. Catch you next time. Bye.